Good evening. Good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight continues our one word series we've been going through. Um, tonight's lesson is humility. Uh, I calculated it's going to be three weeks before we get to the next lesson, which I believe is on peace, um, because next week I'll be gone, and then the week after that we'll have singing night, and then the fifth Sunday we'll be back to our one word series. But uh, nevertheless, our lesson for tonight is on humility. As we look at the word humility, it's something that is, of course, very important to the life of a Christian. We see the meaning and character of humility in Scripture. Though God is high and holy, it is not through some act of greatness that we come into the presence of God. It is only through humility that man finds dwelling with Him. Notice what is said, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 57 and verses 14 and 15. And one shall say, Heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We understand that David had to humble himself before God to be exalted as king and to be known as a man after my own heart as he is referred to in Acts 13.22. Notice what David said in Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Humility is a recognition that nothing comes from self, but that all comes from God. This humility is characterized in gratitude for all that we have been given. Though seen in some instances, such as Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel 4 and Saul and 1 Samuel chapter 15, one does not have to be humiliated necessarily in order to be humbled. Christians should come to humility long before humiliation is necessary and brings them to that point. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. We see it in His birth and of course in His death. We see it in how He lived. Not only did Jesus teach humility and submission but he also set the example for it. Tonight we're going to look at humility and how it is characterized in Scripture. Our, our lesson objectives for tonight are to learn how humility is characterized in Scripture and secondly to humble ourselves before God and before others. 
putting humility to work in our everyday lives. I want us to begin our study tonight by looking at humility, an example, and teaching. And we'll close our lesson with humility in the life of Christ. Humility, an example, and teaching. We do read of instances in Scripture where those, there are those that are humbled. Uh, they have exalted themselves in some way and, and something is done to bring them back to earth, if you will. Something to humble them before God. David is a, a prime of example of someone who was humbled. After his infamous sins, uh, adultery and murder of Uriah, we see that David had to be brought to humility. First in realizing that he had sinned against God and man. We see that Nathan is sent with a message to David to help him come to this recognition of his status with God. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll begin here. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Those famous words, You are the man. David didn't realize that he was the one that had committed the very same sin. He took the wife of another person, another man. One that didn't belong to him. And yet he took her. He lay with her. And he called Uriah in tried to send him home to lay with his wife so that the child would be thought to be Uriah's instead of David's. Uriah wouldn't go home. And so David made a plan to have Uriah placed on the front line of battle. And he had him executed in battle. David had to come to an understanding that he was the man. And until he came to that understanding, he was not in a right relationship with God. 
It wasn't until he realized the greatness of his wrongs that he could be brought back into that proper relationship with the one he loved so much. David was by far not the only individual to be humbled. We read again of Nebuchadnezzar, mentioned him in the introduction. But in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 35, Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 28, we read of this great king, Nebuchadnezzar. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling? by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Verse 34, and at the end of the time... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Again, though humiliation is not required in order for us to be humbled, sometimes it is necessary. And especially in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, it was necessary that he be humiliated in order to be humbled before God. He couldn't see that, that all the things that he had been given were provided by God himself. There are also other worthy examples of humility in Scripture. One of them I think of is John, the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth also known as John the Immerser or the Baptizer. Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 13, we read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him. 
John, in telling of the coming of the Christ, said in verse 11 of the same chapter, Matthew 3, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John realized the importance of his mission in preparing the way of the Lord. He realized that Jesus was the great one, not himself. He was very humble and his great example of humility for us. We also see humility in the teachings of Christ. Who is the greatest? We read in Matthew chapter 18 of a question that came up among the disciples. Matthew 18 beginning with verse 1 and at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him set him in the midst of them and said surely I say to you unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus again taught an important lesson on humility in Luke 18 beginning with verse 9 we'll read of the Pharisee and of the tax collector Luke 18 and verse 9 also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted and very similarly Jesus gives another parable in Luke 14, beginning with verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and and he who invited you and him come and say to you give place to this man and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place but when you are invited 
go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Something that we find among the Pharisees and the scribes and those that thought themselves of great importance was that they would choose these highest places whenever they would gather for a banquet, a wedding feast, or whatever it may be. And Jesus teaches them, don't go for the highest places. Let someone come and, and tell you to move down. Go to the lowest places so that you can be exalted. He taught humility. Be humble. Don't see yourself as great in the eyes of other people. Wait for them to exalt you. Humility is something that is important again to the life of a Christian. And the best place for us to really understand what humility is is by looking at the life of Christ. Uh, there are many lessons that we can look at and many parables and things of that nature. When it comes to Scripture, the ultimate example is always that of Jesus. And we see that Jesus, even though He had every right to claim greatness, to proclaim himself as the Son of God Most High. We see that Jesus came in humility. His life on earth evidenced humility. And even in the way that he died, we see humility within him. Let's begin with his birth. In Luke 2, beginning with verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Looking at the way that Jesus was born, he wasn't born in some great palace or kingdom as an heir to a throne. He was born in a stable. And there wasn't enough room for him in the end, and so he was born in a lowly stable, laid in a manger, a feeding trough. His entrance into this world alone was an act of humility. We see humility in his life and his example. Take his ministry, for instance. Uh, looking again at the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, 
to follow Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 9 and beginning with verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How dare he? How dare he go to these lowly people, these sinners? Why would, would Jesus want to have anything to do with them? He humbled himself. He spent much time with lowly people. With lowly tax collectors. Harlots. And people that, that were despised by those such as the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. Jesus had compassion upon them. And here he says, those who are well have no need of a physician. They don't have any need of a doctor. But those who are sick. He went to the, those that, that needed him the most. He humbled himself to do that. But his compassion alone was a symbol of his humility. We see his humility before his Father. Notice how he taught us to pray in Matthew 6 and verse 9. In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He taught us to humble ourselves before God just as he himself did. Notice that Jesus was submissive to his Father's will. Notice his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It wasn't about doing what Jesus wanted to do. When he came to this earth, he didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of his Father. Even though it led him to the cross. To great persecution. And ultimately to death. Jesus was willing to pay the price for us. He humbled himself before his father in submission to his will we see it in John 13 as he washed the feet of his disciples John 13 verse 2 and supper being ended the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash 
the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. As we looked at in our study of this chapter, see that Peter overcorrected a bit. In verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. In verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice here that Jesus knew the plans of Judas, Iscariot. He knew his plans to betray him. But he didn't stop. He washed Judas' feet as well, along with the rest. Isn't that interesting? He taught his disciples to do as he had done to them, not to, to literally wash each other's feet every time they gathered. Some have taken that out of context and, and used that in a way that, that it wasn't meant to be. But what Jesus was teaching his disciples was to be servants to each other and to be servants of all. He himself had come to serve and he was teaching them to be servants. Whenever Jesus would leave the earth, he would leave them with a the mission to serve other people just as he had done in his life. To bring a message to them, the message of salvation. They were to be servants. But they had to learn service from somewhere. And they learned service from Jesus himself. And finally we see humility in his death. Jesus humbled himself before Judas and the soldiers, giving himself to them without putting up a fight. He said it himself. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but he didn't do that. He submitted to their will. The mockery that was his trial, not giving place to due process in the legal proceedings, he humbled himself 
before the authorities. We see humility in His humiliation, hanging on the cross, stripped of His own garments, hanging helplessly until His eventual death. There's humility in how He bore the sins of mankind, sins that were not His own. Jesus exhibited humility in all of His actions and His submission to those in authority over Him. Though He was the Son of God, a deserving ruler of all people, and He had done nothing wrong. He, he was perfect. He lived a life of perfection, and yet they crucified Him. And, and though we don't see the word humility, specifically in the death of Christ. We do see it in his acts and in the way that he died. He was an excellent example of humility, if there ever was one. So what do we learn? We are taught not to be prideful and full of arrogance, but to be humble. We are taught not to exalt ourselves above others, but that we will be exalted if we are deserving. We are taught to recognize our condition outside of Christ and to submissively obey the will of God. First of all, in faith. In confession of that faith before others. In repentance, a change of heart, a change of life. In baptism for the remission of sins. And in living faithfully for God every day of our lives. By doing these things we are humbling ourselves to the will of God. We have been taught humility in scripture by example. In the teachings of Christ as well as others. And in the example of Christ Himself. And finally, we recognize the command that is given to us. I want to close with the words of James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. James 4, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to, to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. Does that mean that there is no joy in the life of a Christian? And because of His humility, certainly not. We rejoice in, in God's pleasure. We rejoice in the salvation of others. We rejoice in our own salvation. But we are to put aside the things of the world all the treasures that we might find here on this earth. 
look to the will of God, humble ourselves before Him, and know that He will lift us up. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you in need of rededicating your life to Him, returning to Christ in His service? Are you living a faithful life? As we always do, we offer the invitation. If anyone is subject to it, if you need to respond tonight, if there is some way that we as your brothers and sisters in Christ can help you, we'll be glad to do so. As together we stand, as we sing.